Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Are you PNLP? This is the Premier Non-League Podcast Summer Specials. So it's been a few months, Chris. We're back yeah. for the Premier. Well, months, I'd say. It's probably been a month and a half, but it feels like months, doesn't it, when you have no football? It's a long time. It is a long time. But um, Chris and I thought we'd bring you a little summer special tonight. Uh, we did a successful series last year with summer specials, and we thought we will have the perfect opportunity to do one with one of the co-chairmen of Ashton United, Jonathan Sayer, whose book comes out on the 10th of August, called Nowhere to Run, The Ridiculous Life of a Semi-Professional Football Club Chairman. Jonathan's joining us all the way from New York right now. So, Chris, I think that's probably one of the most glamorous locations we've ever had on the Premier League podcast, would you say? I would say so. Yeah, I mean, we have me flying around the world and in hotel rooms sometimes, just uh, a random past world. But, I mean, to have one of our guests coming in from New York, it's pretty, pretty impressive. We're going places, Chris, aren't we? Not, yeah, I'm, in the, I'm in the least glamorous place you could imagine, though. <laughs> I'm in like a store unit in a theatre because it's the only place where I could find good Wi-Fi. Because I've been living out here doing a show, but I've been kicked out of my apartment now. So I'm, I'm, I'm literally in a storage <laughs> You're literally living in the storage cupboard. Um, Jonathan, welcome to the Premier Non-League podcast. Thank you uh, for joining us. Um, and, you know, thank you for sending your book. As I said to you, like I read it on my recent holiday. or But um, it's a fantastic read. Tell us a little bit about yourself for listeners that don't know. Just, you know, start about yourself. Why you're out in New York. You said you're in a theatre and uh, what you're involved in, really. Yeah, of course. So outside of non-league football, I work as an actor and a writer, predominantly in comedy. So I'm part of a company called Mischief. So we do shows, things that people might have heard of, uh, the play that goes wrong, comedy about a bank robbery, um, and the goes wrong show that was on the BBC for a couple of seasons. So we, we make that work. And we're out at the moment in New York doing Peter Pan goes wrong. So we're here in New York and then we head out to L.A., um, so that's what I do as a day job. But then outside of that, I have a kind of weird second life, which is I'm the co-chairman of Ashton United. And you have to emphasise co-chairman because reading the book, I think quite a lot of times you were sort of um, not recognised as that, were you? <laughs> well, I did. so it's a role that I share with my dad. Um, and it's been, it's been a really nice... So we're both from the area. And my granddad, his dad, played for Ashton. He was the captain for... God, he was the captain for like a decade, I think. And um, I've always gone to watch the club and just got more and more involved about four years ago. And then, yeah, my dad and myself have ended up as as ended, have ended up as the co-chairman. But I would I would I would say that if you imagine a football chairman in your head, probably like my dad is that image, you know, like he's got his <laughs> kind of black cap and like he's a bigger kind of broad-shouldered guy who, you know. A kind of no nonsense kind of guy, and then 
I, I'm possibly not your stereotypical non-league chairman, but it's been really, really fun. Like, um, it's been, it's, yeah, it's been, it's been a great experience to do something with with him. Well, I don't think you can be completely honest. That it's not always been fun, though, has it? Because you know, reading the book, there's been plenty of ups and downs, and times where you've doubted your sort of why have I done this? I mean, Chris, we've said like I think anyone that invests into a football club has to be slightly crazy, um, in the nicest possible way, uh, especially at non-league level, because you've got you know, we, 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 the thing, the great thing about the book, as we said off air, is it's so relatable. As listeners to the podcast know, Chris is involved quite um, heavily at South Shield, especially with the media side of things, myself at Worthing, and I'm on the supports committee. Frustrations as well, you get putting yourself in that hot seat. No, it's, I mean, like, well, yeah, so, so, oh gosh, where to start? Cause it is such a long story. So the book is a kind of mixture, I would say, first and foremost, with kind of stuff that's actually happened, and then the stuff that's exaggerated a little bit for comic effect. But the stuff that is is particularly true are really focuses on the mistakes that I've made. And I suppose the bigger the, the thing that so when I got involved, I think probably the mistake I made was I thought it would be a lot easier than it is. <laughs> I kind of imagined <laughs> I kind of imagined, you know, oh, it'll be great. Like, um, I, you know, I'll put a little bit of money in there and, and I'll be able to come back home at the weekends and I'll watch the team win and it'll just be lovely. And, you know, me and my dad will do this thing together. And it's, it's incredibly stressful. It's incredibly stressful. One, because I'm sure you two know this, but there's never quite enough people, right? There's this, because no. a football club, even a small football club is a massive endeavor. Like it takes all the time that you have. It could be a full-time job in itself. You know, you've got an army of volunteers, but they've all got jobs as well. So you're constantly tired. Like there's obviously, you're, I, I think the thing that I didn't realise as well is you're, you're always in kind of firefighter mode because like you want to do all this kind of planning for the future. But, you know, ultimately, particularly in the last few years, right, you know, you've had like COVID players isolating, all that kind of stuff. But then, you know, like freak weather conditions, you've got the pitch being waterlogged, like desperately trying to get matches on, desperately trying to solve different problems. So, it's, no, it's definitely been like... um it's definitely been an, an emotional roller coaster. I'd say as well, like a thing that I didn't expect was was, and this is kind of in the book. Like I remember being so excited all the way through my first preseason, just being like, "This is going to be brilliant! I'm going to love this!" And like the friendlies are just kind of you know they're they're, they're nice events, aren't they? Just mm. it felt very similar to being just a you know it felt very similar to just going down and watching the team, and it was just an enjoyable experience. And then as soon as the competitive season started. I remember about 15 minutes into it, just being like, oh my God, I hate this. I hate mm. it. Like I feel totally powerless. Like you feel, you feel to you're totally powerless, but you feel to a total sense of responsibility is, is my kind of take on it. Um, and yeah, I've really tried to talk about that in the book. I've tried to talk about, you know, how I found it emotionally. I've tried to really like, so a lot of the stuff I write outside of, a lot of the stuff I write in, in my, in my day job is about shortcomings and about mistakes that you make and all that kind of stuff. So I really tried to focus on that. And I think I've tried to be particularly honest or maybe even a bit cruel when it comes to myself and the things that I could have done better. I do think in the book, you are quite hard on yourself sometimes. Sorry, Chris. Yeah. No, no, I was going to, I was going to say something similar. Yeah. No, I, I, yes. I think that <laughs> without turning this into a, into kind of a therapy podcast. Yeah, no, I am, I am maybe a bit hard on myself. Trust um, me, if they need therapy podcasts, I think they need to therapy me, don't they, Chris? That you'd always say. <laughs> you just like yes, you would. feel so much. You, you, you guys will know this as well, because 
like you know everyone in the ground, right? So you know how much it means to everyone. I think when you know, particularly on like a match where maybe it's been quite difficult to get the game on and you know how many hours have been put into keeping the pitch in good order and, you know, getting it ready. You, you want it so much, not just for yourself, but for everyone. Um, and I think that can lead you to being a bit hard on yourself. I know you show pure frustration when your dad had had one or two many beers and started over-promising a lot of stuff um, <laughs> to the fans. Now, has that ever come back to bite you in the bum? And like, what would, I mean, you didn't, you sort of said you were so annoyed after. You obviously didn't pop like, but what was your like pure reaction towards your dad after that? Because you must have been so annoyed, especially that you'd gone in there with a game plan. <laughs> I think that like a real difference between us both is that I I overthink a lot of stuff. So with things like that, like I'm I'm like really like, and as well because I'm I'm in um I'm in a media facing job. So I'm so I'm really used to doing interviews, but also like sticking to a message and being like these are the things that I want to get across when we're having this chat, and you know and 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 I'm going to really focus on them. Whereas my dad will just say it's probably more more. Um, probably more authentic. I, that's the thing that I touch on as well, but I always, again, probably in my own head, but I always feel that um, I, I always, like he's, he's he comes across probably in stuff like that a lot more authentic than I do because I'm probably more concerned about not saying the, you know, the wrong thing or trying to manage the situation. And he just kind of says, oh, well, I want to do this. I want to do that. And I think the end of that chapter is from what I, again, I would say that that bit is is a slightly exaggerated chapter of the book where where like I I I I um I kind of always have a concern about being the kind of junior partner mm. in the relationship. And I think it was me that in the end was like, oh we're gonna do these things and we're gonna do that and oh I can't wait for us to achieve promotion and I can't wait for us to have all these different things running immediately. And then and then yeah you then you find out that the reality of it is is just really really difficult. And I you find as well like when you watch an interview with a football manager or someone talking about the match and, you know, they, they, and they, they won't commit to anything. They say, we're taking one game at a time. And you've got all these dreadful football cliches that, that make stuff, you know, a little dreary sometimes. And actually you kind of get why they say it like fine margins used to be a thing that drove me mad. And now I, I, I can't tell you how much I understand it. You go home being like, Oh, but if that, that tiny little moment, if that had happened, you know, if we hadn't hit the post there in six minutes in and we'd have scored, it would have been totally different. So, yeah, but no, I, definitely, I, I I think that it goes back to the fact that at the very beginning, I kind of thought this will be a lot easier than than it ended up being. Because it was obviously not too long after we had COVID. Now, I, I'm always curious, John, because of the saturation of football clubs in, in and around the greater Manchester, Lancashire area, how you guys kind of survive because there's such a yeah a plethora of clubs and you're all trying to... There's only so many pieces of pie and you're trying to get the crumbs from these slices of pie. So you're trying to grow a club in an area where everybody else is trying to grow their club and it's so saturated. Um, it just felt like for us, we were never off the M62 in the last three years. You know, we just kept crossing the M62. Mm. To be blunt, how do you do it? How do you survive in an area like that where there are so many clubs trying to feed from the same trough? Um, gosh, I mean, it's, it's a really good question. I think that we're lucky in that it is a... The northwest is is a big football region, right? So, mm. 
that there are enough people to, okay. to, to come and see matches. But no, it is tough. I'd say that like one thing that I'm really envious of when, whenever we head up to the northeast is I think that distance between the clubs is just a little bit further apart. It is. So, it is. And, yeah. and so it means you 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 know you you have bigger gates than us. I think we went to is it Ashington? Um yes. We we went we went there in the FA Cup last year and got absolutely hammered. Um <laughs> one, one of the one of the worst nights, uh, one a really bad night that. But again, I remember just like you know, it's it's that it's that club, and then around the area, there's there's not that much. So it just it just tends to be that there are more people there, and we are we we do all have to be a little bit more competitive. Um, it's really interesting because I'd, I'd say that the general relationship between all the clubs is pretty warm, um, yeah. pretty respectful. But but yeah, no, it's it's a really really tricky thing. I think like. We're all in different leagues, which, which maybe helps a little bit. But no, there is an element of competition and there is an element of, um, you know, who can you kind of always having to sell yourself and you kind of feel like you're always on audition. I think that it's really important as well. You kind of have people who are like the diehard supporters of those clubs. And then you probably yeah. have people who almost make their decision at the start of the season based on who's, you know, who's doing the best, who's playing the most entertaining football. So, and the thing that we've always struggled with since I've come in is really hitting the ground running. Like we've had like really good patches, but it usually has come after after a bit of a tough opening month or two. And then maybe you're not the most appealing out of the clubs. Yeah. You've played well against South Shields on numerous occasions. You've been kind of a bit of a bogey, a bogey club for Shields. So you must so love interviewing general... him right now, Chris, then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. Our general problem, I would say, I'm 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 really optimistic that this season, we like quite a lot of lessons have been learnt and it's going to be really different. But generally speaking, I've always been when when we're playing South Shields, I'm I'm really confident because mm. we just seem to show up to really big matches and we we've struggled more. Like, previous like previous experience has been if if we're if we're playing a team that wants to play football. Then we tend to we tend to do quite well, but then yes. if we're playing a team, I think because we've tended to be a counter punching team, but then when mm -hmm. we've had another team that's also happy to sit back a little bit, then it's been a real struggle. But I think we've had a bit of a we've had a manager change, and I think we've had a bit of a philosophy change as well. So I'm curious to see how this season will go because yeah. I think we are going to be more naturally on the front foot. Yeah. Hopefully, we're going to be a team that's trying to dominate the opposition rather than kind of. Yeah. keeping it tight for the first 20 minutes and you know and, and, and looking for a break because your manager is steve cunningham yeah steve cunningham yeah who who, who got um who went up with buxton a few yeah. years ago as well like it is a very different stuff because mike mike clegg was our manager before who i've got nothing but kind of high praise for but i think there's a real difference in the style of football that 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 both of them want to play yeah now steve's quite popular um, among a lot of South Shields fans, actually, uh, from his days at Colm. He, yeah. um, he's a very popular figure. He, um, he's on good terms with a lot of Shields fans. And a lot of Shields fans will wish you guys well. Not just I'm not just saying that because we're in a meeting tonight, but generally I think there will be Shields supporters who, who will um, be looking out for you because Steve is popular. So um, his philosophy is always been about football so that should be good yeah like it's very much about keeping the ball on the deck like we've gone through this whole thing um in the in the close season we've we've totally done the pitch again 
which I think is the first time in, in, in decades it's been totally ripped up. It's been totally reseeded, totally relayed, all with the intention of being able to get the ball on the floor and, and play some yeah. proper football. He kind of came in towards the back end of last season and it, it was really hard to play football because you yeah. know, just balls just sticking to the grass all the time and it's bobbly and, and it's no one's fault because I'd say that we've got a brilliant grounds team, but just it was more like... Um, yeah. Like it was, it was the, the issue were like was like deep set. It wasn't something that could just be kind of massaged away with a roller. Like it needed to be yeah. all brought up and put back down. So it's it's going to be a good season. And yeah, like I've been out in the states so much that I've I've only I've I've met with Steve a couple of times and okay. we we chat on the phone. But like he, whenever I've gone to the ground, he's got a lovely he's got a lovely way with people mm-hmm. as well. Like kind of, yeah. I think he he actually talked about his time in Cole and how. How how Ashton feels kind of similar in the sense that it's a real community club. Like yes, like every, almost everyone who's watching is in some way a volunteer or or part of part of doing something at the club. Um, so I think hopefully I, it feels like we're really all moving as one this season. Yeah. Fantastic, Chris, Chris. All you're gonna to have to worry about now, you don't have to worry about Manchester Great and Manchester area. You have to worry about getting out to Hertfordshire on a Saturday now, don't you? Or a Tuesday? Stortford. <laughs> Ridiculous. Gloucester. John, one of the things you mentioned just now and about um, relaying a pitch for this summer, and you mentioned a book about the pitch previously and the additional costs, you know, like to water the pitch and like, you know, where's the money going to come from? I got the impression that, to put it politely, you were kind of naive about the like the uh, running costs of a football club because it seems to take you by surprise. Everything was, was it? Any, were you kind of undersold it by the previous owner? Because that's the sort of impression I kind of got. I think that it's less about being undersold. I think it's more just this is a totally new world to me. So mm. there's costs that I just didn't, just like you said, I think I think a bit of naivety. Like I just didn't think, oh, well, there's that and there's that and there's that. I just kind of thought, well, there's the the wages. I kind of imagined, or oh, most of that will be covered though by by the gate receipts and by the bar. But there's, but like you said, there's there's just loads and loads of different costs there's there's the you know there's the playing staff the management staff but then there's just the costs that come with essentially running a bar right that's what that's mm. what the, the um, social club or the clubhouse or whatever um different clubs call it but really you're just running a sports bar um there's all the different kind of administration fees like you said there's the keeping the pitch in good nick there's the ground grading like it just kind of goes on and on and on really and it, yeah, it can feel just totally, totally endless. And to go back to your question about the locality of the club, like it means that actually an extra 20 people come in on a match day, mm. that's actually really, really important. That's a real game changer for a lot of clubs. Mm. Um, so yeah, no, I think there's definitely, it's definitely yeah. fair to say. That. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You've, you've relayed the pitch. What were you adding up the cost of putting a 3G pitch in? Like, what was the decision that you made to reseed it? Like, 
So obviously we know from our, well, I know Chris, you've got real glass pitch at Shields. Worthy, we've got a 3G pitch. It makes a lot of money for the club as well. Was there any considerations you made to think, you know, do we or don't we? Or is it because the goal eventually is to get up to professional football and you don't want that cost of relaying a grass pitch then? No, so so with the with the pitch, it kind of goes back to the question about overpromising because I definitely remember I said, oh, we're going to have a 3, 3G pitch within the next two years. And it, it's it's just very complicated. It's just it's just quite difficult to do. There's a lot of cost that you have to meet up front. I think we'd still really like to do it because I think that so like so many clubs, I think the future of them has to be about being absolutely central to the community, and that not just being like a couple of buzzwords. Like it really needs to be. It's a club for everyone, and that need that means little boys, little girls getting on the pitch during the weeks. That means having numerous teams that can play. That means having proper, yeah. That means having like um a fully, um, properly funded, um women's setup at the club as well. But all of that, you really need the three G pitch because otherwise you're just you you know you're asking volunteers to do even more yeah. keep the pitch ready. And, and like you said, you can hire it out. You can have walking football, and all of a sudden the club it changes. Right, it becomes this kind of hub of activity where you've got people who are there all the time. They're not only there because there's a match on a Saturday or a Tuesday. There's a reason to be there. You can get your training sessions there. So I do think that's a really a really smart move for a lot of clubs. It makes a lot of sense to me. But there's a huge amount of cost at the beginning. You've got to like take up all the turf. You've got to remove all the earth, wherever that goes. You've got to... Um, like a thing that we don't have is it is a tremendous amount of um, parking, so we've got to kind of look mm. at how that works. There's there's just quite a lot of 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 nuance that comes with doing it, and I think that every year we've kind of said, well, let's not do any, let's not make a huge commitment to the pitch because mm. we're going to try and do the G. And I think that this time we just thought, well, we should just we should do something because we you lose so many games, not like in, yeah. in regard winning and losses you you just can't put matches on and and that just becomes really problematic because one because of the income thing but also like for the team itself like you lose momentum like we had a whole thing where we we had a really fantastic result we were raring to go this was just after steve had come in we had like two wins on the bounce there was a real like oh this is going to be great and then we didn't play for three and a half weeks four weeks because it was frozen it was waterlogged um, it was just all these different things. I think there's a there's a bit in the book that's actually like so. Again, like, like I said, like the book is kind of it's not totally. You you can't take it all totally on face value. Because another thing I've done is I've I've picked moments from other seasons and enfold and folded them into that first season. So there's a bit about trying to get the match on, and that was actually this season where like you know we had all kinds of weird and wonderful experiments of how you how we could thaw the pitch. So we had, um, we had, we had, I was away, but there was a WhatsApp group and it sent this picture. And as soon as the picture came through um, on the WhatsApp, it made my blood run cold. And it was like a big tarpaulin. And then it was like a load of propane heaters. And someone had decided to get all the propane heaters and then cover it in tarpaulin to like keep the heat inside. And the tarpaulin was plastic. And apparently, apparently apparently it started and then my uncle said i'm gonna check that it's working and then he got under the tarpaulin and apparently like very 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 nearly set himself on fire 
So, <laughs> what what WhatsApp group was that though? Because I know you had about fifty million WhatsApp groups. <laughs> oh yeah, there's so many WhatsApp groups. That, yeah, I don't know if I don't know if you could hear the sound of them binging and bonging away just then. But oh, is that oh, them? It's so, <laughs> so different. Well, it's my fault as well. I, I've over I've over decom. This is definitely explored in the book. I I over yeah. The club. So I was like, well, this group is for player registration. This is for ad boards and sponsorship. This is for finding a training facility. Loads of conversations that I didn't even need to be in. But the really funny thing is, again, you'll 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 know this from from your clubs, but there's only so many people that are in those groups anyway. So we just yeah. had loads of different groups with different combinations of people, mostly the same, just to get oh, it's, it's been a whole a whole thing. And they seem to there seems to be even more being set up. <laughs> Every day, every day. One thing that made me laugh is that um, I wanted when we talk about costs is that you were talking about the uh, coaches previously before you. It was sponsored, do you think, by a local deck chair company, and that seems to disappear. I must, I'm, I'm, I must say, I must say that. So at the beginning of the book, there's a disclaimer that says some of this is is the God's truth as as much as I can remember. Oh, is this one of the tips? Exaggerated, and some moments there are some moments of fiction just to make the readers laugh. And the deck chair company that folded was just a joke that I like the sound of. The other thing that is the other thing that's in this book is there's um. But just kind of you, you kind of become a kind of honorary groundhopper working in non-league. Yeah. And some of it is stories from other clubs that people have told me off the record or said, oh, this happened at our club. And I've tried to kind of fold them in as well. So there's lots of fun non-league stories all the way through. But, it. but that's the brilliant thing about the book, because as we said at the beginning, it, it's so relatable to experiences we've had because it's so completely different from supporting a professional club or even being involved yeah. in a professional club. And that's why... This is what formed this podcast that you're on now. This is why, you know, we we found a love for, you know, non-league football. And uh, that's, it's it just so nice to see it written down. It is but the irony, the irony is, though, you mentioned there that, it, you know, when it's not, we're not in professional football yet, most of the um, volunteers are expected to be professional. Yeah, you know, yeah. you know it, it, for instance, if whoever's in charge of your registration makes a slight error, you can be docked points, you know, mm. or if you don't get your social media out on the YouTube or wherever it has to be on time, you can be fined. So you're asking volunteers to do the work of professionals, which adds yeah, to the pressure. No, yeah, I, I don't quite know what the solution is to that because because I get I get that obviously there has to be rules and there has to be a shape that everyone has to fit in. But yeah, I, I totally agree with that. You've got people being asked. And I think the more... Because we've definitely been on the on the on the rough end of, of of kind of errors with player registration and stuff, and and it's heartbreaking because you've got people who are putting in like yeah. you know they're literally in the club like at midnight trying to do all the paperwork and like things are becoming increasingly digitized and you know it's really really tricky. The same with the you know you've got to have your social media like this and you've got to have these kind of things and you've not always got the people who've got the skill set to necessarily no. do all that. Um, so it's it's a really tricky one. It's a really really tricky one. There's a, there's a part in the book that is totally true, which was that we kept being done for having the wrong training bibs on. I read that. <laughs> we got a 250 quid fine, and they had all this. The, the league had all these photos, all this evidence, and everyone was like, "Well, who's who? How are they getting this evidence?" And people were like, oh, "Is it like a is it a, a supporter or is it like a kind of supporter from another club, one of our local rivals who's coming in and like shopping us up to the league? Who's doing this? And then we 
And then one day I realized it was me. I'd been going around the ground, going around the ground taking photos and like putting them on my Twitter, being like, don't we look great? Matches ready. And then I'd been atting the league in in like celebration. <laughs> and I realized that I'd been reporting us for like three months to the league. So the fine was my fault. Uh, well, that was a bit <laughs> snaky of the league, but we know uh, you, you just need to listen back to some of our podcasts of our opinions of the football leagues we participate <laughs> in and probably get it taken off the air for slander. But um, talking about kit, uh, John, one one part that did make me laugh was when, was it your, after your first season in charge, or your first season in charge, you ordered about 50 million different kits because two, three, two or three different people were putting the orders in where the communication broken down. Yeah, I think that um, if, if if it was a professional club, the official line would be there was a miscommunication. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I ordered the kit. My dad ordered the kit and someone else ordered the kit. So we just had all we had this absolute surplus of kits. We then found out that we had a lot of kit from last season and that kit was probably fine. Um, and then we got a grant through. Um, then we got a grant through, which was great. Um, um, our, our vice chairman, Steve, um, runs the charity side of the club. And we, we got a grant through, um, but the the caveat of the grant was that the money could only be used on kit and, um, and kind of track suits and stuff. So, you know, there was a season where we had so many, so many different kits and, and just nowhere near enough storage either. So you'd open a door and shirts would oh, cascade wow. everywhere. We were constantly trying to sell them and move them around. <laughs> You're still so, wearing them to this day. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I wear three Ashton United jerseys. To every match now just to get just to get the wear <laughs> so are you genuinely um upbeat about your chances in the forthcoming season jonathan yeah definitely like i hope the message of the book is like you said i'm i'm not afraid to kind of be a bit harsh on myself and i'm also not afraid to just kind of put my my vulnerabilities or my frailties kind of out there i kind of feel like that's a bit of the, 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 my day job kind of bleeds into that but I also hope that it's kind of an optimistic book because I think ultimately mm. it's about how amazing these clubs are all over the country that are kind of held together by like 20 or 30 people giving up all their time sometimes giving up a lot of their money but just giving in 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 some ways giving up a lot to make the club work and I think yeah. that this season We've all just arrived on a few really useful conclusions. We also had this problem that the first season, right? It was, as a, you'll, you'll know this as a South Shields fan more than anyone. It, the season was null and voided, and yeah. it, it meant that it meant that maybe like if you'd had your fine margins again, but if you have your first season and then you can stop and you can reflect and say, well, this worked, this didn't work. This is an area that actually I don't need to be involved in, and I can step away from and. And, and we kind of didn't have that, you know. It, no. The first, the first three years were just one very long season, and and the, and the the lessons that you draw from that season are quite weird lessons anyway, because this because it was such an unusual, you know, experience because you were just trying to keep everything afloat, and you know the matches you were just trying to get if you got them on, that was a bit of a yeah. let alone whether you won or lost or you know you're just if, if it happened. And you managed to do all the kind of different rules that you had to do, and you're on top of all the different things that we were supposed to be doing. Um, so we've, I feel like we've only just had that moment of there's a season done under fairly regular conditions, mm. and you know, and and we can work out what what's worked and what and what's not worked. So I, I am really optimistic about this season. Good. You finished fourteenth last season, wasn't it? I think. Uh, yeah. uh, were you a little bit disappointed with that? 
we kind of started, we started pretty well. Um, yeah, we started pretty well, not like amazingly, but we started pretty well. And then we had a, a real down patch of like a month and a half where we just forgot how to score. Um, mm-hmm. And we had um, the, 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 the thing that you were mentioning about, we, we, we had to, we, we, we had to forfeit some points and so we had a, we had a, a kind of we had a really rough October through to December. So we kind of went from being really in the playoff contention to being very kind of mid table. And then after that, we changed the manager, and Steve did great. But we had like lots of matches postponed, and the, the same as so many clubs. So it's not it's not a yeah. case of making excuses. It's hard, isn't it, to know where the line is between evaluating what happens, so you can learn from it, and just feeling like you're making a load of excuses. But we, it was a, it was just a really, really up and down season. We tended to do very, very good against the really good teams, and then the teams that were kind of struggling more, we, we tend we tended to struggle with a, a, a little bit. So it was it was just a bit of a hot and cold season, and it kind of yeah. petered out. But I'm I'm really hopeful that this season will will kind of we've got more of an identity to us, and and I think there's a real sense of excitement. Like there's there's, mm-hmm. a, there's you can just feel the momentum in a way that I've not been able to feel it before. Like it feels like something's happening. I can even feel that, you know, being in another country at the moment. Like there's just a sense of it feels like things are fitting together a lot more. I, Maybe I it's because I did. Maybe I buggered off. My dad's there, yeah. and actually, it's just it's just he's just running <laughs> properly. That may be that might be what's happened. <laughs> We'll, be def- we'll definitely be keeping an ITA during the season as a friend of the podcast, which is great. Um, what I wanted to end on before we wrap it up was um, one of the things that actually made me belly laugh. I'm sure Chris, you could agree. Um, do you want to talk to me about Bashford United and Bash the FC? Yeah, I went to the wrong ground. <laughs> went to the wrong well, yeah, ground. but yeah, but right for people that aren't maybe from the UK or geographically no knowledgeable of the UK, what was the worst thing about that? Well, what um, we're in the Northern Premier League, yep. and I, uh, I, I, I don't do geography, so I just put it. I put the words into the sat nav. Off I went, just mindlessly driving, and and I, I went to the south of the country for a Northern yep. Premier League match. I was like yeah. literally on the post. Yeah, I mean, Chris could probably. I can appreciate Chris this season doing that because he's got, as we said, he's got to go down for Hertfordshire to go and watch uh, Shield. So we could get away with that. But in a Northern Premier League, I mean, come on, come on. I no mean, can, we, can we, can we, can we, can we blame you for jet lag? Was it jet lag? You <laughs> no, jet no, lag? no, no, you, no. Just stupidity is the only is the only reason for it. Just utter stupidity. No one knows this either. Like I've, I've to this day, I've been too embarrassed to admit it. So, um, I just text everybody that, like, oh, my car's broken down. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. And then we it's go. You, you've now yeah. revealed it in a book that's going to hopefully be read by millions of people around the world. So, you know, you, I think there should be a T-shirt or a flag made right by the fans because yeah. certainly, if you were my chairman for my club, Worthing, we would be ripping the, you know, what out of you for a long time. No, absolutely, no, it's deserved. It's deserved. Yeah. Actually, it's deserved. that leads me, you know, um. You, when he, the first time you and your dad sat in front of the committee and supporters and whatever, it was a difficult, kind of difficult evening that evening. Um, if I, if my memory serves me correctly, out from what I've read in the book, um, yeah, the book, yeah. And, and there was, there was, there was a wasn't vitriolic, but it was a you know it was a typical here he comes, here they come, what are they going to do, and. Um, have those stalwarts, shall we say, who were in the clubhouse that night, who give you perhaps a little bit of a tough time on your, your opening night, have, have they warmed to you? How has the 
has the ice melted? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a part of the book that's about the first time we were kind of unveiled to the fans. And I think that, I think it's, I think that like every, so it's, it's worth saying that actually like everyone has always been incredibly supportive at the club really from day one. But yeah, you, like you definitely have that thing where like, I, I certainly felt it, whether it's in my head or not, I don't know. But like, there's a moment where you've got to kind of convince people who've been at the club for a long time that your, that, that your intentions are good, right? And I think yeah. particularly like, going back into, I, I think that is in the book and I think that like plays on my mind quite a lot is like, I maybe don't look like your stereotypical kind of football chairman. I, I don't, necessarily sound like I'm from the area as well because because work moved me around and, and all that kind of stuff I don't have a history in in the game either like so so I think that there was a night of really trying to to put my best foot forward and show you know I've got I've got the best intentions with this club and you know I, I know what I'm doing and and I think like the, the big journey for me is kind of admitting that like I don't think anyone who runs a club totally knows absolutely everything they're doing because so much of the job is you're not in control right or ultimately you're just a supporter and yeah. your job is just to kind of support the manager support all the different teams like where if you spot a thing where there's a breakdown in communication try and link stuff back together but really that's that's all you can do so those people who give you a hard time no longer give you a hard time no i think they're very very no i think i think they're kind i think that you you, you, you it's football right so sometimes you yeah. get you get what you you get what I would call robust feedback. Yeah. And I think as well, like, you can, like <laughs> there's definitely a thing that I've fallen into, which is weird because I don't do this in my day job. So I don't necessarily take reviews too seriously or like end up on social media kind of reading people's mm. thoughts. But I think like a thing that the book explores is actually in real life, everyone was very, very supportive, but you can read a tweet that and and you can get really panicked by that you can get really worried and that stuff can can drive you mad but um but no it's it's been a real you know it's again like a big message of the of the book is that lots of non-league football clubs are kind of very dysfunctional families right and they're yeah. kind of held together by love but also, <laughs> but yeah. also they're dysfunctional families so sometimes yeah. everyone wants to, you know tear each other's hair out and stuff because because yeah. because because the thing that you want more than anything is the thing that you can't control and and there's a really good book called um oh gosh I've, i forgot what the book's called now but he meets he goes to different clubs and he meets the chairman of Tranmere rovers and it's about five years ago it's 10 years ago and he kind of said it's a business that's totally like unlike any other business in that you can't control the thing that your stakeholders or your customers or, you know, if you look at it like a normal business, you can't actually control the thing they want. Whereas like in any other business, the person who's running the business would have a control, you know, would be able to like have some kind of safeguard over like what the product is. Whereas football, it's just nothing like that at all. Right. No. Like it's everyone's in it together and you kind of just, you just get bashed about by, you know, circumstance and whatever happens. So when when is the book launched and where will it be available from? So the book is like officially out to purchase at Waterstones and, you know, your local bookseller from the 10th of August. And you can get it online as well on the Penguin website and on Amazon and, or, you know, just, just wherever you buy books. Um, and we're also doing, I'm really excited about this, I'm 
flying back to the UK tonight and we're doing a launch event at the club this Tuesday. Um, so Wednesday. So, you know, we'll have everyone from the club there, but also kind of hopefully people who, who like my work from outside of football and other people who like non-league. And we'll have a really nice night kind of celebrating football, celebrating the book and, and having a laugh at my expense. Very good. No, Jonathan, it's been very, very good read. I have to say, if you if you listen to this podcast and you're thinking of a read for your summer holidays, do purchase it because it's fantastic. Yeah. If you if you love non-league like we do, it really does tell a tale that you can relate so often to your own club and uh, the stories and characters you see around the club. So good luck with it. Thank you for taking your time to join us here on the Premier Non-League Podcast Summer Special. Um, we, we will keep an eye out um, for Ashton this season. Uh, Chris, maybe looking from uh, above, you're looking down uh, for the first time in a while, you can say that. But maybe you'll be joined by Ashton next season and we wish you all the best. Hopefully. Yeah, oh, good, good folk. Yeah, good folk, good club. Um, yeah, it'll be good. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah, all the best to you, to you guys for, um, for the for the upcoming season, and, and thanks for your time. It's been really nice chatting. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank good you. luck. Have a safe flight tonight, and uh, go buy the book. Yeah. We'll be back on the 11th of August. The podcast was recording on the 7th. Don't listen to Trevor because he got the date wrong on our Twitter, which is now apparently being rebranded as X. I've just got news. Uh, Elon Musk is playing around and playing silly buggers so follow us on X as it's now called at the PNLP (laughs) we'll be back with our first season episode on the 11th of August but until then stay safe and me and Chris will be seeing you bye for now search the premier non-league podcast on all platforms